This podcast is powered by Oh Such Luck Productions. Excessive worrying, feeling agitated, difficulty concentrating, irritability, avoiding social situations, irrational feelings. These are just a few symptoms of anxiety. If they sound familiar, you should know you're not alone. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America, or ADAA, finds 40 million American adults are living with anxiety. Between the outbreak of COVID-19 and human rights movements like Black Lives Matter, many of us may be feeling even more uneasy. I'm Brian Osuch, and this is Happening, a podcast about all the spectacular things that happen from the moment we wake up until the time we say goodnight. That leaves a lot of time for a lot to happen. Stress, tension, and anxiety, a combination many of us have become familiar with over the past few months. I recently chatted with Dr. Sarah Lavelle, PhD. She's founder of New York Health Hypnosis and Integrative Therapy. She's been written about in Elle Magazine and Allure and helped hundreds of people overcome their difficulties. We dove into the deep end of the pool, so to speak, discussing anxiety in times of uncertainty. Everywhere we look, there seems to be turmoil, cable news, social media feeds, websites, text messages. There's no escaping dramatic headlines. These days, fear and anxiety can be overwhelming and cause strong emotions. Coping is a must if we're going to stay above water. There are ways to manage the everyday exposure to worrisome news about both COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter. I think I'd respond similarly in some ways to both of them, but very differently in other ways. For instance, with COVID, when we're talking about educated, there is this differentiation between how much news should I watch to be educated versus am I going to Google this obsessively to the point that it becomes more real and more real and more real and we get ourselves down the rabbit hole. With that, I do think there's something to be said about really limiting so that there's enough to be educated, but not to any point past that. I encourage people to set almost a stopwatch or decide how many hours or how many minutes or how much they want to watch and be exposed to it, and just stop after that. With the Black Lives Matter movement, there is something about maybe the discomfort that we're feeling is positive. I still recommend, you know, some of these graphic images that we're seeing, you know, not to ignore them, but I do still believe in limiting them. But other than limiting it, you know, use this discomfort as a way to propel ourselves forward. I think all this upset and discomfort, it can be very much a positive force. And I hope that it's propelling not just governments and agencies to make change, but I really hope that this discomfort that we're seeing is inspiring everybody to look inwards and to ask themselves if they have any thoughts, beliefs, or actions that contribute to the problem. I think the main point and the main goal, in addition to other things, is that this should make people uncomfortable. Maybe it's forcing people to have to think about things they haven't had to. I think it's easy for people to say, oh, I'm not racist without ever thinking, well, are there things that might make me? And 
If there are things that even subtly make me, what can I personally do to change that? It could be very uncomfortable to have to ask yourself these questions, but I do think that it's a first step for change is for everybody to start by asking themselves the right questions. And then after asking ourselves the right questions, what do I want to do about it? What kind of personal responsibility do I take? And then that way the anxiety can be transmitted into a more positive force as opposed to being overwhelming. Anxiety shows up from a host of factors like genetics, brain chemistry, personality, and life events. Who ever thought we'd be living through a pandemic? A poll by the American Psychiatric Association, or APA, finds safety, health, and finances can be the greatest source of anxiety. 68% of respondents said keeping myself or my family safe and my health made them somewhat or extremely anxious. To date, there have been more than 2 million confirmed cases of coronavirus in the United States, 662,000 recoveries, and 118,000 deaths. Those numbers may be enough to trigger some fears. As states all across the country start to ease restrictions, it's only natural to feel anxious about getting back to work and being in a work setting. I think everybody's going to have to make that decision for themselves and be comfortable with it. For instance, I do have some patients I'm working with right now that I'm recommending that they push back. So for instance, I have a patient who's in her 70s. She both has heart problems and diabetes, and her job isn't really essential to be in person, and yet they're pushing her to do that. I think if you know that your anxiety in response to the situation is actually justified, I would recommend people make good decisions for themselves and maybe even get documentation. I do think going to your primary care physician, somebody who you have a relationship with, and kind of weighing, well, what are my risks? If your doctor's telling you, you know, I don't feel good about this, I think you should get the documentation to back it up. However, if you're quite young, they put things in place at work to make it a relatively safe environment, you might want to evaluate that differently. And at that point, again, if those things aren't in line with your beliefs for yourself, it might be some hard decisions and then analyzing your own anxiety about those decisions. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, more than 38 million Americans filed jobless claims since the COVID-19 pandemic started in March. Many people are worried about paying their bills or expenses. I have a friend who says, you mess with my money, you mess with my emotions. If that's true, close to 40 million of us are on the brink of a financial breakdown. This really is a genuine concern. So many people are laid off. And if they're not laid off, they might be worried about their job. And I think a big thing for people to do right now is figure out whether this is a real concern that's adaptive, or if this is a worry that's kind of unfounded and is more spiraling in their minds. One technique I recommend that people use is to ask themselves, is this worry kind of the rational adult mind that's adaptive, or is this the emotional child mind that's maladaptive? For instance, If a person is worried because, wow, I just got laid off, I don't know where I'm going to get my next job, that worry can be adaptive. That worry is telling them, 
Maybe I need to think about how much savings I have. Maybe I need to change apartments. Maybe I need to cut down on my spending in this other way. If this worry instead is, oh, I might get fired. But you ask yourself this question and you think, you know, I've always had this worry, even before this happened. Well, maybe that's more of an emotional worry, not a real worry, right? And what I recommend when these things happen, if it's not something that's adaptive at this time, to find a way to just kind of put it inside as opposed to fighting with yourself. A lot of times our attempts to calm our anxiety actually make it worse. And let me give you an example. If you have this worry, I might lose my job. Your pseudo-rational mind might kick in and say, but you've done a good job and your boss likes you. Well, that just prompts your worried mind to say, yeah, but my boss liked this person and they got fired. And then your rational mind goes on and on and you kind of fight back and forth. I think instead a good technique is to think, I'm having this worried I'm going to get laid off, but is this worry right now adaptive? Does having this worry right now help me in any way? If the answer is no, you can kind of label that as a worried thought. And the more you label it as a worried thought, the more you could kind of mindfully focus on something else. But really attempting not to kind of engage in this back and forth with your mind because that makes it seem like the worry is more founded. Balancing between the real worry and the emotional worry can be one way to stay on track and keep yourself from spiraling out of control with anxious thoughts. But what happens when we have to use mass transit? It's one real-life worry many of us are about to face. The American Public Transportation Association finds more than 57 billion miles have been traveled via public transportation. Here in New York City alone, more than 4 million people ride the subway every day. That's a lot of coughing and sneezing to contend with, if you ask me. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Things like subway rides, if it's really crowded and you're going to be talking to somebody face-to-face, -face, you might be there for an hour next to the same person, that would be pretty risky. However, if it's uncrowded subway, it's not so likely risky, as long as you're washing your hands and not touching your face. I think the more you can educate yourself about it and ask yourself, is this a risk I'm willing to take? And you go through this line of questioning in this kind of thoughtful way, you can then push out those anxious thoughts that what if, what if, what if, because you've already decided this is the level of risk I'm willing to take right now. Pushing out the anxious thoughts of what if, what if, and replacing them with concrete knowledge can help you get from point A to point B without worry. Sorry about the rhyme. I kind of had to do it. The CDC recommends knowing the facts. Since March, we all know it's important to wash our hands, avoid touching our eyes, nose, and mouth, along with wearing masks and socially distancing by six feet. Is that enough for the anxious mind? Sometimes one thought can grow and spiral into something else, and many of our anxiety-reducing outlets are gone. There's so much anxiety right now, and yet less ability to deal with it. I used to say to my patients, you know, if you're feeling anxious, reach out to friends and go to a party, you know, or, you know, you'd say, hey, go to the gym and work out. And we've kind of taken away a lot of those outlets, but there are still a lot of outlets that we have. 
we have a tendency to eat poorly when we're stressed. However, research shows time and time that the better that we eat, the better we're going to feel. We might not be able to go to the gym. However, research again shows more and more just exercising three times a week, even if it's just 20 minutes, reduces anxiety tremendously. And that is something that we can do as long as we're doing it safe. And now that it's getting warmer outside, it's easier to do that. I love the use of things like headspace and calm. A lot of people are new to meditating and we can't really go to a meditation course right now, but there are things that are very easily available. A book that I'm recommending to a lot of people right now who are kind of getting stuck in these thought spirals is this book called Overcoming Unwanted Intrusive Thoughts. It's in line with what I was just talking about, about evaluating whether it's rational or emotional and helping a person talk themselves out of it. Because a time period like this not just exacerbates somebody who already has anxiety or OCD, but I think really triggers some of these intrusive thoughts in the general population. And the more people have the tools to do it, especially when it's a book that's written in a very reader-friendly way, I think it could be helpful. Lastly, I do think if a person's feeling overwhelmed, therapy is absolutely essential right now. And there are a lot of different types of therapy. We focus on mindfulness and hypnotherapy, which I think is extremely important right now. Because first of all, I think sometimes people just need a break from thinking. And there are other forms of therapy that could be great for it as well. But I like the addition of this because at least it's 10 minutes that you could just experience something pleasant in your mind. At least if you're teaching somebody self-hypnosis, they have this tool in place. That being said, there are a lot of different kinds of therapy, but having a person that you talk to that knows you and that you feel comfortable sharing your thoughts with, I think can be helpful in a way that just doing it on your own can't. There are a lot of ways to do therapy virtually right now. All therapists are providing their services remotely and can make the process easy. Dr. Lavelle told me one of the top issues people are dealing with in these uncertain times is anxiety about family members or friends with different views and stances regarding health and social issues. One example is how many people are tired of isolation and want to break the quarantine bubble. You'll have one person who says, you know, I really want to social distance. I'm sorry, mom, but you can't come over and see our kids. And another person being completely opposite. Oh, you're overreacting. And so this creates a lot of discomfort within families. And I feel like there's good reason that people are going to feel so strongly about it. You know, one person could think, but how could you not care? This feels like you don't care if you're killing people. And then other people could feel like, you know what, this isn't as big of a deal. I think when something is going to push people apart so much, it's important to think about how much difference you can personally tolerate. And how much difference can the person I'm talking to personally tolerate? And is this conversation going to help or is it just going to hurt things? And it, it can feel like just hurting things feels like ignoring the problem. But there's also times that pushing the issue with somebody it actually isn't going to change them anyways. I think the more strongly we feel about our own position on it, the less worked up we're going to feel. The more we can look at thinking that another person's opinion 
maybe they're not educated or maybe something is going on with them or maybe they've just lost their job or maybe it's something greater than that. But the more grounded we feel in what we're doing, the better we're going to feel and the less it's going to feel like anxiety if somebody has a different opinion than us and especially when it's family. While we're on family, many have been separated for more than 100 days. That could seem like an eternity to some, perfect distance to others. As we all know the saying, distance makes the heart grow fonder. I asked Dr. Lavelle about the ways people can deal with anxiety about loved ones we haven't seen in a long time because of self-quarantining. I actually think there's a lot of ways for people to reconnect, and I actually hope that this will be something positive for people. What I'm really seeing is that people are connecting with people virtually that they haven't in a long time, even though they could have done this in the past. For instance, say you live in New York City, but your family's in California. Maybe you didn't reach out to them that often, but there's something about this pandemic that even though the situation hasn't changed so much, they are reaching out more. Sometimes it's over Zoom. Sometimes it's text messaging more often, but I'm even seeing people having family game night. You know, I do think that laughing is the best therapy. So anything people could do to make this more fun, people are finding more creative ways of connecting. And I think the most positive thing that could come out of this is that we're putting these symptoms in place because we're lonely and we can't connect with people. However, when things change in the future, we'll now have both. We'll have this ability to connect virtually in a way that's just easy for people to do on top of seeing people virtually. It's really changed our conception about what meeting people in person means and whether or not we have to do it. And the idea that we could then after this have both, I think, could really add to people's lives in a very meaningful way. Now, what about those people who are of the school? If I ignore it, it'll go away. I always like to give the analogy of ignoring anxiety like a pot of boiling water. You know, a lot of people, even if the heat is going up and up and up and it's boiling over, they might have the tendency to put the lid on and push it down and hold it on tighter. However, we all know that doesn't really work. It just builds up more and more and more. And sometimes you don't even realize the ways that it's coming out. Some people might already have anxiety about their health. If you're worried about your health, you might get more stressed about work. I think if you don't have times that you kind of let it out, the more it's going to build up. These are uncertain times. That alone makes people more uncomfortable. Routines are thrown off. Schedules have been disrupted. And the whole sense of normal is out the door. If I've learned anything from Dr. Lavelle, it's that coping with stress, tension, and anxiety in a healthy way will help make us and our communities stronger. So many of us are feeling increased anxiety because of the state of the world. As we heard, there are ways to help keep ourselves and others healthy when facing anxiety in times of uncertainty. I'm Brian Osuch, and this is Happening. This has been an Oh Such Luck Productions original.